This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Luster. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language and mature themes. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 345. Hello, Metamorphs. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamorph City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorcity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction and update you on my journey as a writing professional. So let's get started, shall we? Here is this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 10 of Honor Tested by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to episode 336 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. In last week's episode, Noble Yasmin introduced Honor to the woman behind the succession reform bill. Countess Harcourt is a stern, serious, and fiercely intelligent woman, and also a transplant from the nation of Lantany which overthrew its king and aristocracy in a bloody leftist revolution. The rebels failed to construct the workers' paradise they had dreamed of, and after decades of civil war, peace was restored when Lantany became a province of the empire. Over the course of their conversation, it becomes clear to Honor that Harcourt shares that radical dream of an egalitarian society. But unlike her former countrymen, she has chosen to use more incremental and peaceful means to achieve those ends. Succession reform is only one small piece of her mission, a way of leveling the playing field between male and female heirs of the nobility. She freely admits that in some cases, this will result in less qualified heirs inheriting their family titles, but at least the system will be slightly more fair. Eventually, she hopes, Metamore society will be ready for other kinds of equality, until at last they can dismantle the class system altogether. Honor isn't sure that she's on board with Harcourt's whole vision, using the power of privilege to destroy privilege. Harcourt even admits it might not work. But the Countess is offering Honor something that the current system doesn't, a seat at the table. If the succession bill doesn't pass, Honor will never be more than a pawn to be married off for political advantage, and it won't matter what she thinks about anything. So Honor agrees to join Harcourt's movement. The first assignment Harcourt has for Honor is an intelligence-gathering mission. Honor's cousin, Lord Tyrrell, is working with House Drowling to organize opposition to the succession bill and they are calling together the peers of the conservative and centrist houses to make their case. Harcourt wants Honor to go and find out what sort of argument is being presented to the peers in this private setting, so she can devise a way to counter it. The retreat will happen at House Drowling's ski lodge in the mountains, 
and while Harcourt and Yasmin could never secure an invitation, Honor can get in as a member of her father's immediate family. Unfortunately, Alex and Natasha will not be able to join her. Retainers like Natasha are not permitted, and Alex needs to focus on the campaign for the Veterans Bill, which means keeping their distance from any polarizing issues that might threaten the coalition they're building. However, that does not mean Honor will be going into this mission alone. Harcourt's granddaughter has many friends within the conservative houses, and she has been quietly feeding intelligence to Harcourt for the last several months. She spots the young lady on the far side of the garden and calls her over to make introductions, but unfortunately the two women have already met. Back at the debutante's ball, Honor made a fool of herself within five minutes of meeting Lady Delphinia, thoughtlessly asking about Delphinia's ascension to become the scion of House Moraine, an event made possible only by the wartime slaughter of all of her brothers and male cousins. The cold, beautiful, and brilliant Delphinia quickly retaliated, exposing Honor as a country bumpkin who was painfully unready for the refined world of Metamore High Society. Honor had been saved from further humiliation only by the arrival of noble Alex, whom Delphinia shot a look of abject loathing before quickly excusing herself. To say the least, neither woman walked away from that encounter with a favorable opinion of the other. But now, apparently, they will be forced to work together. Honor Tested The House of Bellevue Book 2 by L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 10 Partners and Allies Lady Delphinia, the scion of House Moraine, stared at Honor like she just found something loathsome growing in her bathtub. What on earth are you doing here? she demanded. Honor stared back, appalled. It was one thing for Delphinia to show surprise, but to be so confrontational in a public place was just astonishingly rude. Somewhat to her own surprise, Honor found herself getting to her feet, raising herself up to her full five feet and not much. She lifted her chin defiantly. I might ask you the same question, my lady. What's your stake in this? You're a house scion already, aren't you? Delphinia scoffed. <laughs> and you think you're one to join us? A country dormouse without even a proper finishing? I don't seem to have missed much, Honor shot back. If this is how they taught you to behave at afternoon tea. Ladies. Countess Harcourt's voice snapped out like the crack of a whip. Delphinia flinched at the sound, and Honor suspected she had too. I would remind you that we are all guests of Lady Duval at this function. Your behavior reflects on both the Viscountrix and myself. Her eyes narrowed to slits. I urge you to choose your next words carefully. Honor and Delphinia both looked down at their feet. A long, awkward silence followed. I apologize for my outburst, Delphinia said. 
The words came out slowly and with clear discomfort, like someone was pulling them out of her guts with a hook and fishing line. I had no idea we would have the pleasure of your company today. Nor I yours, Honor said, with somewhat more grace than Delphinia had managed. But I accept your apology, Lady Delphinia, and I am sorry for raising my voice to you. She inclined her head, in deference to Delphinia's status as a house scion. Delphinia gave her a single sharp nod in return. That, huh? Harcourt said, though her voice still held a note of warning. Now, if you ladies would care to join us, we can discuss our strategy and objectives. Obediently, Honor took her seat again. Delphinia sat down between the Countess and Natasha. She peered curiously at the big woman, looking her up and down. She must still have been mindful of the Countess's rebuke. When she spoke, her tone was cautious, almost diffident. I'm sorry, but I don't believe we've been introduced. Natasha turned cool gray eyes on her and shifted slightly in her direction. Delphinia was tall for a woman, but Natasha absolutely loomed over her. If we had, she said, you would remember. Delphinia swallowed visibly and inched slightly closer to the countess. Honor smiled thinly at her. Lady Delphinia, may I introduce my companion, Miss Natasha Volkova? Natasha, Lady Delphinia of House Moraine. Natasha stared directly into Delphinia's eyes, holding them for a long, long moment. Then, without looking away, she inclined her head to the scion. Any friend of Lady Honor is friend of mine, she said, and smiled. Not her real smile, but the scary one that showed too many teeth. Delphinia's already pale complexion turned to something like a marble statue. I'm sure, she said, and looked away. Countess Harcourt leaned in toward the center of the table again drawing all eyes back to herself. Now then, she said, Delphinia has secured an invitation to Lord Tyrrell's retreat on the pretense of courting one of the younger gentlemen in attendance. She turned to Delphinia, gesturing minutely with one hand. Delphinia cleared her throat and sat up a bit straighter in her seat. <clears throat> the event will be held the weekend after next, at House Rawlings Ski Lodge in the Northwest Barriers, she said. It's at a high altitude, so there's still a good three feet of snowpack up there. Drowling is running a carriage sleigh down to Malin Station to pick up the guests, twice on Friday night and thrice on Saturday. There's to be skiing and sledding throughout the day, and then a banquet on Saturday evening, with a speech from Lord Tyrrell and dancing to follow. The guests will be returned to the station on Sunday morning. Natasha let out a low whistle. This must be very big house, if they are keeping nobles and their families there for two nights. I have yet to see it, Delphinia admitted. But from what I've heard, yes. Between the main house, the guest lodges, and the servants' quarters, it's practically a small village. And impossible to reach without invitation, noble Yasmin added. Unless you can grow wings and fly, no? 
Drowling wouldn't open his private sanctum like this for mere politics, Harcourt said, her eyes narrowed in thought. The conservatives are desperate. They can feel the tide of opinion turning against them, and they believe they can turn it back. But whatever they have in mind, they want it far from the prying eyes and ears of the capital. I'm sure that's why they are excluding staff and companions. Could it be blackmail? Natasha asked. Perhaps they bring these nobles someplace quiet and threaten them. Harcourt and Yasmin exchanged an uneasy look. Is possible, Yasmin said, but I no can imagine how. Thirty counselors and their families, Tambien? The androgynes shook their head. A blackmailer threatens his victim in private, not in front of half of the council. If we knew why they were doing this, I would not have to send you, Harcourt said. Go, learn all you can, and try not to draw attention to yourselves. We'll plan our next move when we know more. We shall not fail you, Grandmother, Delphenia said gravely. She reached up and touched her crucifix and lifted her face skyward. The spirit of Eli will guide and protect us. Amen, Honor murmured. Personally, she thought this show of piety was a bit much, coming from a woman who had just insulted her to her face not ten minutes ago. All the same, she hoped Delphinia was right. Noble Yasmin got to their feet, and Honor and Natasha did likewise. How shall I find you when I get to the lodge? Honor asked Delphinia. Is there a great hall of some sort? Some landmark I should look for? Delphinia smirked. That will hardly be necessary, Lady Honor. I shall be making the journey with House Bellevue. Honor was momentarily confused, until Countess Harcourt's words came back to her. Oh, good heavens! So the suitor you've pretended to be courting is... Delphinia's expression was smug as she finished Honor's sentence. Yes, your very own house scion, Lord Graham. Natasha blurted something in Vieshen, looking horrified. Everyone at the table stopped and stared at her. Several of the women at nearby tables did likewise. Natasha looked sheepishly at Honor, at Delphinia, at the Countess, and finally down at the ground. Apologies, she said. This saying uh, does not translate well. I believe we understood the gist, Honor said dryly. She curtsied to the Countess again, and then to Delphinia. Good luck, Lady Delphinia. I suspect you shall need it. Friday, May 4th I don't like this, Noble Alex said. Alex, Honor, and Natasha were sitting at the little table in Honor's chambers, drinking coffee over the remains of breakfast. Honor had sent an urgent letter to House Townsend the night before, as soon as Noble Yasmin had returned them to the Bellevue's apartment. Alex had arrived this morning at the stroke of eight, and Honor had quickly ushered them upstairs. I can't say that I'm terribly fond of it either, Honor said. But the Countess is right. If the Conservatives mean to use some sort of dirty trick to stop the succession bill, we need to know what it is. Alex made a face. Damn Harcourt for dragging you into this, they muttered. 
When I said you should help with succession reform, I meant talking to people at parties, maybe handing out leaflets, not going behind enemy lines. Honor gave them a patient look. It's a ski retreat in the mountains, Alex, not the trenches of Havane. That doesn't mean it's not dangerous, Alex said darkly. House Drawling has a sinister reputation. The Viscount and his wife are both master wizards, and rumor has it they did terrible things during the war. Natasha's expression turned grim. Many people do terrible things during war, she said. Alex gave her a sympathetic look. Granted, they said, but I don't mean killing in battle, or not just that, anyway. There is talk of compacts with dark powers, of bargains made to ensure the Allies' victory. Some say they even engaged in human sacrifice. I highly doubt the Majestrix would have allowed that, Honor said. If she knew about it, Alex countered. Honor reached across the table and took their hand. Alex, I am touched that you are concerned for my safety, but I really think you are letting your imagination run wild. I do not believe my cousin Tyrrell is luring thirty nobles and their families into the mountains in order to murder us. Alex grimaced. Perhaps not, they admitted. But I still don't like it. I wish Natasha were going with you, at least. As do I. Natasha said, in the tone of someone who'd already had and lost this argument, which she had last night before bed. Likewise, but there's no help for it, Honor said. Tyrrell says that Drawling insisted this event is for nobles only. At least I shall have Delphinia to watch my back. Alex snorted. Hmm. I am not at all sure that is better than being alone. Honor cocked her head at them, frowning. What happened to make the two of you hate each other? Your mother seems to be on good terms with her family. You must have known each other growing up. We did. Alex sighed. They took a long drink of their coffee, finishing it, then set it down and stared at the empty mug. We played together a great deal as children, but things started to change when we went through puberty. I think Delphinia had expectations about the sort of relationship we would have. I didn't share them. They looked up, showed Honor a bleak smile. Delphinia doesn't take rejection well, and she can be utterly vindictive when her pride is injured. Oh, Honor thought. And then half a second later, Wait, Alex turned down Delphinia? Impossibly elegant, beautiful Delphinia. Why? She glanced aside at Natasha, who raised an eyebrow in her direction. Honor took her meaning readily enough. If she was going to talk to Alex about their relationship, now was probably the time. Having a clear understanding of one's relationships is important, I think, Honor said carefully. If one is clear about one's needs and hopes and desires, then perhaps such painful incidents can be avoided. Alex noticed her change in tone. They sat back in their chair with a knowing smile. Ah, I see that Mama has had the talk with you. 
Honesty always. Yes, they did, Honor said. And I believe there are some things we need to be honest about. All of us, she added, gesturing to include Natasha. Alex looked back and forth between them, their expression growing more serious. I'm listening. So Honor and Natasha told them everything, beginning with the debutante's ball, through the whirlwind of sexual discovery, to their wrestling with questions of dominance and submission, and what a permanent covenant might mean for their future. Alex listened as they always did, with careful attention and sympathy, and while they looked surprised at a few of Honor and Natasha's confessions, they did not seem shocked or disgusted by any of them. Apart from that, Honor could not tell what they thought. So, that is where we stand now, Honor concluded, now feeling a little nervous. I like you very much, Alex. Our parents think that we would be a good match for each other, and I agree. But I need you to understand that my relationship with Natasha is part of the bargain. She reached over and took Natasha's hand. Natasha's strong fingers wrapped around hers, gripping firmly. She looked up at the big woman's storm-gray eyes, and a smile came unbidden to her face. I love her. And whether she decides to become my mistress or not, I want her to stay a part of my life. Natasha had been holding it together with her usual stoicism, but this confession prompted her to blink back tears. She met Honor's gaze and murmured, and I want to be here, little one. Very much. Silence fell across the table for a long, pregnant moment. Honor wondered what Alex thought of all this, but the look of love in Natasha's eyes had caught her, and she did not want to look away. Then, into the silence, Alex laughed. Honor and Natasha both turned to look at the androgyne in utter astonishment. Alex was slumped back in their chair, their head turned skyward, and the look on their face was one of sheer relief. <laughs> oh, oh, thank Valena and all the gods, Alex said. Honor frowned. Alex? Alex took a deep breath and wiped at their eyes. <laughs> I, <laughs> I can't believe it, they said between outbursts of giggles. <laughs> it's too perfect. Natasha was frowning now, too. What is perfect? Alex spread their hands to encompass the table and everyone at it. This, they said, beaming. Honor, your relationship with Natasha is a stroke of luck I could not have hoped for in a hundred years. How so? Honor asked. Because, Alex said, Natasha is able to give you all the things I cannot. Honor and Natasha exchanged a puzzled look. But you are androgyne, Natasha said. She gestured at Alex's groin, then at their chest. You can have pista and bufera whenever you want. You have them right now. Yes, but I don't actually want to use them, Alex said with another laugh. Honor was now even more confused. I thought you were a romantic. Oh, I am, 
Alex agreed readily, throwing their head back again to look at the ceiling. I adore romance. The courting and dancing and love poetry and cuddling and kisses under the moonlight and sharing my deepest self with another. It's all so inexpressibly beautiful. Every moment of it makes me feel like I am walking on air. They turned back to honor then, and their expression became wry and self-deprecating. All of that, that is, until the clothes come off and certain parts begin rubbing against each other, at which point it all makes me rather queasy. Honor stared at Alex. But, but that's the best part. Not to me, Alex said. For me, it is like... They hesitated and seemed to struggle for an analogy. Imagine you were a person who really loves soup. You would happily make a meal of it, and often do. Now imagine you go to a banquet. You get the soup course, and you're immensely happy. And you're sitting there, enjoying your soup. But the waitstaff keeps trying to take it away so they can bring the next course. Everyone around you thinks that soup is only an appetizer, something to be hurried through so they can move on to something else, and they can't understand why you want to savor it, even though for you it's the best part of the meal. They smiled apologetically. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's the best I can think of at the moment. Oh, Honor said, more subdued. So then, do you not have, you know, orgasm, Natasha supplied. Honor winced. Yes, that. Alex made a frustrated sound. Hmm, yes, sometimes. I mean, look, I have certain biological impulses at times. Certain parts need attention, but I would much rather tend to it myself than entrust the matter to someone else. For me, that has nothing to do with what attracts me to a person. I want our souls to touch. I want to feel a deep and lasting emotional bond, to share the world together. They looked down at their lap, a sad smile playing across their face. Delphinia could never accept that. She thought that if I did not want her body in all the ways she wanted me to want it, then the entire relationship was somehow invalid. She said... She said that I was a defective androgyne, because androgynes are supposed to want sex all the time, and that I should talk to a wizard and try to find some magic that would fix me. I'm sorry, Honor said. She couldn't identify with Alex's aversion to sex, but she could empathize with the pain they had experienced. It's all right. Alex looked up at her and Natasha again, their expression turning hopeful. Anyway, that's why this seems so utterly perfect. Here is a charming and delightful young lady I can court and romance and with whom I can share all the adventures of life and I can trust your lovely companion to attend to all the, um, squidgy bits. That surprised a laugh out of honor, which made Alex grin back at her in relief. Assuming that is acceptable to both of you, I hope. 
Natasha raised a hand. She had not laughed when Honor had, and her grey eyes were serious as they regarded Alex. I understand why this idea seems good to you, she said, her voice coming out slow and thoughtful. One partner gives what another cannot. This can work, but it is not easy. Alex frowned. I am not afraid of hard work, Miss Volkova. Natasha, said Natasha firmly. If we are doing this, then in private we must be equals. Alex ducked their head sheepishly. Of course. Natasha, then. Natasha waved a hand, accepting the apology. I believe you, she said. But this is the first challenge. Relationships take time. Honor must make time for both of us, and you and I must have a relationship as well. Not romantic, but as friends. Partners. That is a good point, Honor admitted. I want more from Natasha than just... What did you call them, Alex? The squidgy bits? She is my companion, not just my bedmate. Of course, Alex said. I have the utmost respect for you, Natasha. Please believe I have no intention of pushing you aside in any dimension. And I would be honoured to call you both partner and friend. Natasha nodded once. I feel the same. She held up two fingers. The second challenge is perhaps more difficult. You must be honest about needs and feelings, with us and with yourself. If you do not tell us what you need, we cannot help. If you hide your feelings, if you are jealous or lonely or hurting and you say nothing, then this will eat away at you from inside. Alex's lips twisted into a wry expression. Honesty always. It's good advice, Natasha said. And since what you need is different from what I need, or honor needs, is very good advice. We may not be able to guess. Alex nodded slowly. That's fair, they said. Very well. I shall try to follow my mother's maxim to the fullest. Is there anything else I should know? Da, Natasha said, and gestured between them and honor. I am surprised you did not think of this, either of you. Among commoners, people of same sex can marry, but for nobles this is not allowed. Why? Honor responded instantly, the answer drilled into her by years of tutoring. Because the houses need heirs, she said. Partners of the same sex cannot have children. Da, Natasha sat again, and then sat back, waiting. Oh, hells, Alex muttered. Honor frowned. But everyone knows you're an androgyne, she said. It doesn't matter if you wear a feminine form, you can still... Oh. She looked up at Alex. The dismay she felt was reflected in their eyes. It will not matter if Alex can sire children if you do not get pregnant, Natasha said. Yes, thank you, I understand now, Honor muttered, embarrassed. They all fell silent for a long moment. At last, Alex cleared their throat. <clears throat> well, they said, I suppose we shall have to do some, uh, 
research on that front. They are doing amazing things with technology these days. And magic, Honor offered. And magic, Alex agreed. I am sure we are not the first noble couple to have this problem. There must be a solution. And surely we don't have to work out every detail right at this moment. Surely not, Honor agreed. They were quite early in their courtship, after all, and Honor was still figuring out her own desires. The last thing she wanted to think about right now was pregnancy. This is fair, Natasha conceded. I only want you to keep it in mind. I understand you are excited about this idea. And I agree, it would make some things much easier for us. But some things will be hard as well. Maybe in ways you do not expect. She looked back and forth between Honor and Alex as she said this. Alex nodded soberly. I understand. And I thank you for your candor, Natasha. I am still willing to try, if you are. They smiled at Honor. I believe that what we have here is worth the effort. Honor smiled back. As do I. Natasha accepted this with a nod. Then I am also willing to try. Alex flashed a grin. Excellent. Honor cocked her head at them as another thought struck her. So, you said that you feel the physical urges of sexual desire, but you do not wish to participate. Do you enjoy watching others have sex? Alex blushed, their dark olive skin flushing even darker across their cheeks. Um, well, I... I couldn't say, really. The only experience I have with that is when my parents have their... parties... I never knew what they were about until four years ago, when I accidentally interrupted them. Alex grimaced. That really isn't the sort of thing one wants to see one's parents doing, you know. Honor was afflicted by a mental image of her own father doing some of the things she and Natasha had been doing lately. She suppressed a shudder. No, surely not. They were very progressive about the whole business, of course. Alex said. They sat me down and explained the network of friendships that were involved in their parties, talked about consent and negotiation, and the differences between lust and love. I'm sure that a great deal of it would have been useful if I hadn't found the whole idea nauseating. Noble Yasmin said that you would not talk with them about sex, Honor said. Well, no, Alex admitted. I never wanted to see what I saw, and I certainly didn't want to talk about it afterwards. They sighed, and Honor saw a reluctant softening in their features. Hmm, I do respect the integrity and ethics that they've brought to the Enterprise. If one is going to have multiple partners, then as Natasha said, it is best to be honest and forthright about it. But I'm afraid I have never been able to consider the question of voyeurism, apart from that very upsetting context. Honor nodded seriously. That all makes perfect sense. She pushed her chair back from the table and got to her feet. Natasha and Alex both watched her as she went into the bedroom, drew shut the curtains, and turned on the reading lamp beside the bed. Uh, Honor? 
What are you doing? Alex asked. If we are to continue this partnership, I believe that some scientific inquiry is in order, she said. Come into the bedroom, please. Both of you. She turned around to see Natasha already on her way, a broad wolfish grin on her face. Alex lingered in the doorway from the sitting room, wringing their hands in visible uncertainty. What sort of inquiry? Alex asked, though from the tremor in their voice, Honor knew they had already guessed. She crossed back to the doorway, took Alex's hands in hers, and kissed them tenderly on the lips. Alex let her take the initiative, and they lingered in the kiss longer than they ever had before. When Honor finally broke the kiss and drew back, Alex gazed at her with eyes that were wide and dilated. You are to be my spouse, she said, gently but firmly. Natasha is my lover. Our society gives us no rules for how such a relationship is to work, so we must make them for ourselves. She reached up and cupped Alex's cheek in one hand. I will respect your boundaries. I will never ask you to do something that makes you feel uncomfortable or unsafe. But I do ask you to experiment with us, to try new things and see how they make you feel. If you find yourself growing uncomfortable, we can always stop or try something else. But I hope that we can find ways of being intimate together that all of us can enjoy, even if we have to leave you out of, as you say, the squidgy bits. She smiled at this, and Alex returned it, a little shyly. She caressed their cheek with her thumb, then ran her hand behind Alex's head and through their short, glossy black hair. Will you do that for me? Alex took a slow, steadying breath then straightened their back and squared their shoulders. Very well, my lady. For you. For us. I am ready to try. Honor grinned. Marvelous. She kissed them again, then led them over to an armchair near one of the windows, about six feet from her bedside. She turned it around to face the bed and patted the chair at invitation. Have a seat, my dear. The show is about to begin. And that's the end of Chapter 10. Come back next time, when Honor and Natasha put on their show for Alex. Chapters of The House of Bellevue will be released over 51 weeks, at a rate of one chapter per week. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www.authorlcwilliams.com. Raymond Chandler said, Throw up into your typewriter every morning. Clean up every noon. So, grab a mop and a bucket. It's time for the Weekly Writing Report. This update covers the week of September 3rd through September 9th. I wrote 1,722 words this week, over the course of 2.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 626 words per hour. I wrote on three out of seven days this week. This past Monday was the Labor Day holiday in the United States. I spent most of the day with my wife Melanie, 
We did some cooking and made some improvements to our photography studio. I was back in the lab for most of the week, and I took some time during my lunch breaks to continue world-building for Fan Shuar. On Thursday morning, I shifted my work schedule around and spent the morning working on maps of Fan Shuar's colonies, tracking the changes over the centuries as borders moved and one colonial power replaced another. I also began making notes on religion, choosing which religious and philosophical movements from China, Japan, and Africa would serve as my analogs for the beliefs of Fan Shuar's colonizers. I finished reading David Graeber's book on debt and started reading The Dawn of Everything, which he co-wrote with archaeologist David Wengrow. This book has also been extremely useful for my research. The authors go over recent archaeological discoveries and combine them with insights from anthropology, painting a new picture of the early history of humanity. They spend a lot of time on studies of various culture areas in indigenous North America, and show how these people groups often define themselves in opposition to one another. The choice to adopt farming or foraging, nomadic or sedentary lifestyles, egalitarianism or hierarchy, these decisions were often more about cultural identity and values than purely practical concerns. It's given me a lot to think about, as I imagine the ways different cultural groups in Fanshuar might have responded to their Hanese, Arambian, and Yamatoan colonizers. It's also helping me figure out which sorts of cultures would have fallen prey quickly to imported diseases, and which ones would have been more likely to survive. If you're interested in the early history of humanity, and how our civilizations got to be the way they are now, I recommend giving this book a listen. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.